going to need this church. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that though we can plan uh, things and, and have everything in order, that God, you are sovereign and things go according to your plan. Father, we pray this morning that as we gather in here, that Lord, you would receive our worship, not only in song, but as we study your word. We pray that you would teach us your spirit would teach us. Father, I pray that you would give us the ears that would hear and hearts that would receive, wills that would be turned to your will, and that you would be glorified here. We pray these things in Jesus' name. This morning, we continue in our study of 1 John and if you have been with us, we know we are addressing a very important topic for us who believe, and that is the assurance of our salvation. You know, perhaps some of you were brought up or raised in a church that taught you to repeat a certain prayer. It was maybe told you it was the sinner's prayer, and you need to repeat this, and that you need to ask Jesus into your heart. And then maybe you left from there, and a short time later, you found that Sin still dwells in your flesh. And so you were prompted once again to ask Jesus into your heart again. And then you left from there, and you found that there was still sin. And so it went on and on and on. Interestingly enough, the Bible says, and Jesus declares, that we're to repent and believe. That is how we receive the good news of Jesus Christ. But there's also assurance for those who believe. How do I know that I'm in the faith? And before you say, well, Robert, you've said this week after week. As we continue to go through 1 John, we will say it week after week after week. Because that is the point. That for those who believe, those who are God's children, that they might know that they are his. How many times have you thought something and went, wow, how could I have a thought like that? Am I really a child of God? Or maybe you spoke something and said, how could I say such a thing? Am I really a child of God? Or maybe you did something and that action made you sit and wonder, am I really saved? Do I really believe and so this study as we go through 1 John is to bring assurance to us who are children of God. And so my prayer for you is that you are strengthened in the faith. And as we go through 1 John, as you've heard before, if you've been with us in the study, John lays out three different tests as he goes through this letter. The first one being a theological test. It's about what you believe. Do you believe in the Jesus that's declared in Scripture. The Jesus who came, the second person of the Trinity that took on flesh, that went to the cross to die in place of sinners. The one who was the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. The, the second test is of obedience. It's a moral one. That if we love Jesus, then we do what he has commanded us. And the third test, and by the way, John goes through these over and over again throughout this letter of 1 John, but the third test is a social test. It's a love test. 
is love displayed in our lives. And so this morning, that's what we're going to be looking on this morning as John argues for this love test. To examine and look at our lives for evidence of love. And when we see that there's evidence of God's love flowing through us, we have assurance of salvation. So if you have your Bibles, if you would open them up to 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, we're going to be picking up in verse 7. Once you get there, if you would rise to your feet, if you were able this morning, to honor the public reading of God's Word. 1 John chapter 2, we'll be reading verse 7 all the way through verse 11 this morning. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling." But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So reads God's holy and errant and infallible word. Let's pray for his blessing upon this time in his word this morning. Father, as we have just read this text this morning, Father, we pray that you would, by your grace, teach us about love. Lord, that there would be a self-examination of the love that flows from our lives. Father, we pray your word would be an encouragement to our souls, that it would strengthen us. And for those who are yours, that we would be assured of our salvation this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you please be seated, church. So obedient. Waiting for, yes. This morning, I'd like to share a sermon with you that I have titled, The Love of the Beloved. And as we go through this text this morning, verses 7 through 11, we'll break it down in three different points as John argues for love. The first thing we will see is that there is nothing new in verse 7. There's nothing new. But interestingly enough, as we get to verse 8, we will see that there is something new. You say, well, how does that make sense? We'll get there. But first, there's nothing new, but there is something new. And then thirdly, the evidence for assurance in verses 9 through 11. So let's go through this together. Looking back at your Bibles this morning, let's begin in verse 7 together. There is nothing new. So John argues, he says, Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Okay, now first I want to stop and you know how preachers sometimes go down a little tangent? Well, hopefully I don't take you too far down. But he starts with a very important word. He refers to the people of God as beloved. And so I want to take a moment this morning and talk about beloved. It's the first time that John used it in this letter as he addresses his hearers. But he'll go on and use it five more times in this letter as he speaks to the beloved. And so let's understand this word this morning. Beloved. It means the, the object of one's love and affection. The beloved. 
And John here speaks of Christians as the beloved. But it's helpful for us to understand about this word beloved of whom it was used by and for. Speaking of God, speaking to his only begotten son. You might recall at the baptism of Jesus that a voice from heaven came, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. We see that in the gospels. If you're a note taker, you can write down Mark 1.11 as one reference for where that's found. But the father speaking to the son, you are my beloved. And then at the transfiguration of Christ, again from a cloud comes a voice, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Again, no takers, that's Mark 9, 7. The beloved is Jesus. He is beloved by the father. He is the one whom the father has placed his love and affection upon. And it's with that same love that God places upon Jesus that Jesus loves us, his people, with that love. That we are now the beloved. It's amazing to think the same way that the father would call the son the beloved, now we are referred to as the beloved. Paul addressing the believers in Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, says this. He says, but we ought also to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So he says, to all those who have been chosen by God, who have responded to this truth by repentance and faith, that they belong to Christ and they are now the beloved. You ever question when you're, you're addressed and we speak to you as the beloved? It's because all of us who are in Christ are the beloved. The glorious news of Jesus Christ, who is loved by the Father, now loves his people. And through faith in him, transformation comes to them. That they go from darkness to light. You know, Paul succinctly say, states this in Colossians 1.13. He says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. We are now in Christ. We are in him, and because we are in him, we are the beloved. It's a glorious truth. Jesus would say this in John 15, 9. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. As the Father loves the Son, so the Son loves his people. Can we rest in that a little bit this morning? We're the beloved. One commentator puts it this way. He says, the overflow of God's love for Jesus flows into our lives. So all of God's people collectively, we are the beloved. Let's get back to verse 7 in 1 John chapter 2. Beloved, 
I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. So he starts off here and says, I'm writing you no new commandment. Most likely, as you've been with us through the study, you know that there were false teachers creeping into the church, coming up with new teachings. John is saying, look, I'm not giving you anything new. This is something that you already know. This is not what the false teachers are coming in that you need to have this higher knowledge or, or something that is new. He says, what I am telling you is of an old commandment. It's not new. He says, no, it's not new. There's nothing new here. I'm teaching you the same thing that you have heard from the beginning. And glancing down to verses 9 through 11, we know that he is referring to love. He's speaking about love that would flow from God's people. So keep that in mind as we look at verse 7 together. No new commandment, but an old commandment. One that is from the beginning, one that they have heard, it's nothing new. So the question that we have as we look at the text is, what is it? Like, what did they hear? What is it from the beginning? Well, brotherly love was not some new invention by the apostle John. John is not inventing this idea that Christians are to love God and love one another. He's making it very clear. He's not arguing for anything new here. He expounds on this idea a little bit more in chapter 3. If you would just look over in your Bibles, probably a page later, chapter 3. Take a look at verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Skip down to verse 23 of chapter 3. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Love. Love, evidence of God. God is love, and God's people demonstrate love. He's saying this is nothing new. This is not a new commandment. That we're to love God and love one another. Paul even points to the fact that believers have been taught by God to love one another. As he writes to the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9, Paul writes this. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. God, for it to his people, have given us a new heart. He has given us his very spirit. And that is one of love. Love for him and love for one another. Pastor Matthew read to us this morning in our second reading, Matthew chapter 22. That is the disciple Matthew, not the pastor Matthew. Matthew 22. Verses 34 through 40. And if you recall, a lawyer asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Like, what is it? And what was Jesus' response? Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. Now, I want you to connect these as Jesus teaches this, because when we love God, what is connected to that is a love one for another. 
So Jesus continues. He says, that's the first and great commandment. But he says, there's a second that is like it. And then he quotes Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, and says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, a genuine love for God is demonstrated through a genuine love for others. Everybody following? We tracking? Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Because as we hear the word of God, obviously John writes this so we would look at a mirror and examine ourselves. And his point of writing is that when we see love, we can have assurance that we are God's children. And so that's what this test is on. This is what he's examining for us this morning. That a love for God is always identified by a love for his people. So if I say I love God, you should be able to see that in me. So John makes it clear I'm not introducing anything new. This is something that you have known. It is not like the false teachers who are bringing in some new teaching. But then in the very next verse, he says, but there is something new. You say, well, how does that make sense? There's nothing new, but there is something new. So look with me at verse 8 where we see there is something new. John says, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So what is it? Is it nothing new or is it something new? Like, is John confused right here? What is he saying? First he says, I'm writing to you nothing new. And now he says, but I am writing to you something that is new. John is not making this up. He's not flying by the seat of his pants and saying, let's see what I can tell them. He is going by what he has heard from his Lord Jesus. He's going by the teachings of Christ. That the new commandment that is true in Christ is also true in his people. So again, as we look at the text, we have to ask, what is it? What is this commandment? And so we find this answer in John's gospel. So flip back to the gospel of John. John chapter 13. And if you like to highlight and mark up your Bibles, if this passage is not highlighted, I encourage you to do so. John chapter 13. If you would go down to verse 34. John 13, 34. Jesus speaking here, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So what is new there? Well, Jesus said it's a new commandment. Seems like it's a lot like the old commandment, right? To, to love God and to love one another. So what is it that Jesus gives that is new? He gives the example of love. He says that we're to love as he has loved. 
It is an example set for us of what love is. Now, interestingly enough, and we'll come back to this point in verse 35, Jesus says, by this, by what? By our love one for another, that others would know that we're his disciples. Uh, we'll pick that back up, but I want you to just hang on that for a second. Think of all the things that we would rationalize and say, this is how we know we're his disciples. Jesus would say, no, it's this, love. It's your love one for another. And so as we read this in John 13, it's best to put it in context. What had just taken place as Jesus says this? So at the very beginning, I'm not going to read it all, but if you go to the beginning of chapter 13, Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. You say, well, what's the big deal about that? It is like the lowliest task that a slave would do that Jesus takes upon himself and washes the feet of others. By the way, in that crowd was not only those who would faithfully follow Christ, but even the one who would betray him. Judas was one of those who had his feet washed by Jesus. Keep that in mind as we go through this love test. That Jesus demonstrates love by taking on the lowliest task. By being a servant and serving others. A visible display, an action of love. And so later in John chapter 15, Jesus clarifies all this in John 15 verse 12. And he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Well, that puts a standard to the love test, right? We could always look to Christ and see his display and his actions of love and see, is that reflected in my life? Do I see the love of Jesus flowing through me to others? Do I see, though my flesh does not desire it, do I see him working through me to humble me to serve others and to love others? Again, John 15 and verse 17, Jesus says, these things I command you so that you will love one another. Love matters. If we're considering our assurance of salvation, of whether or not we are a child of God, John says, look and see if there's genuine love. Because it's easy to say, I love God, but the evidence of that is how we love one another. And so back in our text, if you're in Gospel of John, flip back to the first letter of First John. Back in our text this morning, First John chapter 2, we'll continue in verse 8. John writes, the darkness is passing away and the truth is already shining. Church, who is the true light? It's Christ. Jesus said of himself, he said, I've come into the world as light and whoever believes in me will not remain in darkness. That's John 12, 46. He came into the world as light. And if we're in him, we're no longer in darkness. And this is how we know whether or not we are in the faith or not. Are we still in darkness or are we in the light? 
So John's going to argue in verses 9 through 11 of those who are in light and those who are in darkness. And he's going to use the contrast of love and hatred. And so what we're looking at this morning is the evidence for assurance. How do I know that I know that I know that I am in the faith? How do I know that I'm a child of God? How do I know that God has bestowed his mercy and grace and his love upon me? John's going to argue because you can see his love flowing out of you. Verses 9 through 11 of 1 John chapter 2. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Again, John uses contrast very well to help us understand darkness, light, love, hate, or the way I put them, probably backwards. <laughs> but he's contrasting. So there'd be a major difference. It's not that maybe there's a change. There's an obvious change. Love, he says, is light. And the first thing he goes into is, is there evidence of darkness? So the examination is, is there evidence of darkness? And he speaks to that in verse 9 and 11. And what does he argue? He says, if you hate your brother, you are in darkness. You're still in darkness. If you hate one of his children, you're in darkness. This is the argument that he makes here. So what does hate mean? Because I think we have our own definitions to a lot of things. And for many of us, we probably don't use that word hate very often. We think, ooh, that's a pretty heavy word. And so what does hate mean? It's a settled, ongoing attitude and action of strong dislike towards another. A settled, ongoing attitude and action of strong dislike towards another. Well, there's a whole different definition I could sit and think about. There's a whole other definition I can sit and think about how I treat others and what I think of others. You know, John has already argued in this letter, in the opening chapter of 1 John in verse 6, he said, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. He's already argued that. You can't walk in darkness and say, I know him. And then in chapter 3 of this letter, verse 10. Actually, if you're there, go ahead and turn there. It's only a page over. Chapter 3, verse 10. John says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Wow. I mean, John gets pretty meaty into this and not only contrasts darkness and light and love and hate, but he goes later and contrasts, as we see in chapter three, children of God and children of the devil. And he puts those who hate their brother, those who hate another child of God, he puts him in the same camp of 
those who are children of the devil. Love matters that the beloved display the love of God. Again, since we're flipping through John, flip over to chapter 4 now. Chapter 4, verse 20. John writes, If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Again, John is arguing words are cheap. Well, we can say, oh, I love God. But that's seen in our lives. And that should be evidenced by our love one for another. For the children of God, there should be an affinity and affection for one another. A desire to see and to encourage one another. A desire to stir up love and good works in one another. But there are those who say, I love God, but I hate the church. Do you know the church is the bride of Christ? Those are harsh words. Because the evidence, the assurance that we have that we are in the faith is a love for God's people. John continues his argument about hate in 1 John chapter 2 in our text this morning, verse 11, if you flip back there. In verse 11 he says, But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Isn't it amazing how often when we fall into sin, we justify it? We think it's no big deal. That's blindness. To say it's not there. Proverbs 4.19 says this, Proverbs 4.19, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Those in darkness do not see sin. They continue to trip over it over and over and over again. But John's going to argue those who are in the light, they can see it. Church, the good and great and awesomeness of God is though the standard is to be perfect as he is perfect, to be holy as he is holy, that as John has already argued, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The test he gives us this morning as we look at love is to say, are we in the faith? Is Jesus our advocate? Is he our Lord? Is he our Savior? John says those who walk in darkness, those who hate their brother, they're spiritually blind. They walk in darkness. They don't know where they're going. He's saying you, you cannot be in God's will and hate your brother at the same time. Or ladies, hate your sister in Christ at the same time. Or brothers, hate your sister in Christ and sisters hate your brother in Christ. We cannot hate one another. And be in the light. Hatred is a rotten fruit of the flesh. And boy, don't we feel it. You ever been angry towards somebody? You ever held resentment against somebody? It's not just a passing thought. It's something that weighs heavy upon us. But those who are in the light are strengthened by the grace of God to extend love, as we'll see, John will argue here this morning. 
Unfortunately, many of us, including myself, we hate to admit if we actually hold any type of resentment or hatred towards someone. Again, we see that word is very strong. I wouldn't define it as that. I would define it as something else. And why would I define it as something that feels better to me? Because it makes me feel better. But the Bible uses the word hate to have a strong dislike towards another where let's say this in action, it means you intentionally avoid them because you have a strong dislike towards them. You may also think or say unkind things about them that will testify to the reality that you, in a biblical word, hate them. Now, of course, sit there and you go, wow, that's pretty convicting. Like, before we started, I had pretty good assurance that I was in the faith. And now with this test of love, I'm not so sure because there are times I do have strong feelings. There are times where, where I have thoughts that aren't aligned with, I know, God's will. They have thoughts that are aligned probably more along the lines of hatred than they are of love. What am I to do? Does that mean that I am truly in the dark and that I'm not a child of God? Does that mean that I am not truly saved? John uses the word walk. It is a continual practice. He doesn't say stumble into it. He says walk in it. That I live in it, I justify it, I condone it, I think nothing of it, I feel justified saying, you know what, I have the right to feel this way. Beloved, if we stand by our rights, we rightly deserve God's wrath. But how much do we love the grace of God and the mercy of God and the love of God? And so for those who are his, who are in the light, John is going to argue this hatred cannot remain in them. It cannot continue on. Why? Because if we're in the light, light exposes what's in the darkness. And so I might have strong feelings, something that responds within me as someone does something or says something, but the light of Christ convicts me. And his strength, or excuse me, his grace strengthens me to love. That's evidence of Christ in us. That though my flesh says I am justified to feel this way, yet there is a working within me of God's spirit that says to love, forgive. Do not hold on to those things, but love. That's Christ. John makes it very clear in this argument where there is no love, there is no assurance of salvation. Calvin, John Calvin commented on this. He said, quote, for where love is wanting, the beauty of all virtue is mere tinsel, is empty sound, is not worth a straw, nay more, is offensive and disgusting, end quote. I think he summarized it pretty well. There's not love. There is nothing. As a Christian, this is what we're identified by. This is what Jesus said. Others will know that we're his disciples by our love one for another. So John's going to argue this evidence in verse 10, 1 John chapter 2, verse 10. 
He says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Why do Christians love? Because they're loved. (laughs) Why do Christians impart grace and mercy? Because it's been imparted to them. We walk as he walked. What is true of Christ is now true in us. Jesus being the vine, us being the branches. If we abide in him, we bear much fruit. And especially the fruit of love. Towards the end of John's argument in chapter 4, he says this in 1 John chapter 4. Again, remember these three tests, he's going to go over time and time again. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. He makes it as clear as day. He says, here's the love test. The beloved are loved by God, and that love is demonstrated through them. And that's how you know who's been born of God. It's the same thing that Jesus said. Others will know you're my disciples by your love one for another. One commentator uh, uh, speaks of this and he says, quote, Jesus is not only the revelation of love, but also the source of love, end quote. Again, the Apostle John in chapter 4, verse 17. If you would look there in your Bibles, 1 John 4, 17. He says, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. What is he saying? Love is what testifies that we are in Christ, is that his spirit dwells in us. And when we see him living and working through us, we have confidence before the father that we are his. It's the love test. Love flowing through us. When we see God's love, when the world would say this, I don't know how you demonstrate love to them. I would hate them. You have every right to despise them. And yet that all makes sense. But there's something working in you that demonstrates love towards them. What is that that's working in you? It's the spirit of Christ. And when you're able to see that, you know that you know that you know that you're Christ. Because though everybody else can justify anger and hatred, God's spirit is working in you to love. The assurance of salvation, the confidence on the day of judgment that we are identified as belonging to Christ John MacArthur says this, love is the preeminent mark of a genuine believer. Love. So let's pause for a second and let's ask some questions. What is love? I mean, if that's what I'm to to look in the mirror and to see in my own life and see if it's coming out of me, what is it exactly? What is love? What does it look like? Is it a noun or is it a verb? What is love? I mean, we in English use the word love in many different contexts. For example, I might say, I love pizza. 
And in the next breath, I might say, I love my wife. And though there might be times my wife wished I loved her like I love pizza, my love for my wife should be completely different than my love for pizza. But we use that word loosely, don't we? I love this, I love that, I love basketball. And we just use that same word. And so what is the biblical understanding of love? Well, the biblical understanding is a divine love. It's God's own love. It's the example displayed in Christ and the example that he gave of what love is. That when we look to Christ, we see love on display. And what is that? Love is sacrificial. Love is dying to self to serve others. Love is putting others before self. I like what Jonathan Edwards said about divine love. Jonathan Edwards said, quote, divine love above all others renounces and abases what we term self. Christian love or true love is a humble love, end quote. You know, in our flesh, we think we can display love, but there's always a false motive behind it. It's not a motive of genuine love. It's a motive of getting something in return. That if I do this, I'm expecting and hoping for a response on the other end. That is not biblical love. Anybody in the world can do that. Let's see if I try being nice, if they'll be nice to me. It's not what we're speaking of. We're speaking of something radically different. In the Bible, when we describe love, no one made it more clear than the Apostle Paul as far as a description of love goes. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I know you're familiar with it, but go ahead and turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. First Corinthians chapter 13. I want to start in verse 3. I want you to hear what the Apostle Paul says, beginning in verse 3. Apostle Paul writes and says, If I give away all that I have, And if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Stop there. Listen to the commitment that he talks about. If I give up everything, even my own body, but I have not love, I don't have Christ. You want to talk about the difference between self-righteousness and genuine biblical love? Self-righteousness tries to add all of these works to puff itself up. Look what I'm doing. Biblical love comes from the inside out. It's Christ flowing through us. And so we have a description here of what it looks like. Interesting enough, as Paul talks about love, he says very shortly about what it is, but he talks a lot more about what it's not. So looking back at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, talks about what love is. Love is patient and kind. Now, now stop there because you've got to put this in application. When John argues for whether or not we're in the faith or not, an assurance that we would have that we're Christ, he says the evidence of that is love. Well, what is love? First, it's patience. Do we see the Spirit of God giving us patience one for another? Beyond patience, he says it's also kindness. 
Do we see his spirit working us to be kind to one another? But then he also gives what it's not. He says, it is not, it does not envy or boast. It does not parade itself. It's not arrogant. It's not rude, he says. It does not insist on its own way. Stop there. Can't we see that when we act towards others? Does it have to be my way? Do I get frustrated and angry when I don't get my way? Well, guess what? That's not biblical love. He says it does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable. It's not resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. He ends his description of love. He says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. What does that mean? True biblical love doesn't stop. (laughs) There's nothing that prevents it. Jerry Bridges in his book, The Practice of Godliness, he says, quote, biblical love is not emotions or feelings, but attitudes and actions that seek the best interests of the other person, regardless of how we feel towards them, end quote. Regardless of how we feel. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's actions. It's evidence that Christ dwells in me through his spirit. It's evidence that I am in the faith. So stop and think, do you know any people that are unlovable? Do not shout out their name. Do you know any difficult people? Don't shout out their name either. Do you know any people that you feel the right to be angry towards? That you feel justified to always want to avoid? Well, Jesus spoke about those who are hostile towards us and how we should respond to them. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. As you turn there, I'll read you a quote from Alexander Strzok. In his book, Leading with Love, Strzok says and warns about judging other people's lack of love. He says, quote, How easy is it to see the speck of lovelessness in another's eye? but miss the log of self-centeredness, hypocrisy, and anger in your own eye. And he goes on and states, Christian love is never theoretical or abstract. It is always practical, end quote. And so now we're going to see the way Jesus said that same thing. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, reading through 48. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same, meaning unbelievers? Verse 47, and if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. What is he speaking about perfection here? Speaking of the idea of love, to, to love others. And he speaks specifically about, you've heard it said, 
to, to love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. But Jesus says something different. He says, I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. How is that possible? Because everything in my flesh, and I'm guessing everything in your flesh, does not want to love those who are bitter and angry towards you. Those who we would classify as the unlovable. So how is that possible? He says here that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. I mean, the evidence that you are in Christ, the evidence that there is genuine repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, that you have been given a new heart and be filled with his spirit is that there is love toward even your enemies. Now, let, let's be clear. This does not mean that when you're wrong. Now, maybe some of you in the sanctifying process, like just click your heels and go, woohoo, I'm being wronged. But for most of us, we have flesh. <laughs> and that flesh quickly builds up within us. We feel it building up. But when the Spirit of Christ dwells in us, there's another Spirit within us that's coming. It's God's Spirit saying, it's love, not hatred. And though we feel that struggle within us, because we are children of God, we submit to the will of God and demonstrate His love that flows through us. By the way, I asked you before if you know of anybody who's unlovable. And some of you might have thought of somebody. Said someone who's difficult. You might have thought of somebody else or maybe the same person. But I want to ask you this. What do you think of yourself? What do I think of myself? Because in the eyes of God, I was a rebel. And so were you. We were unlovable. We were difficult. We continue to not do what he had commanded of us. And yet he demonstrated love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Every believer has the love of God poured into their hearts through the Holy Spirit. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Paul would put it this way in Romans chapter 13. If you want to turn, you can. I will read it to you. Romans 13, verse, verses 8 through 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Love. Love being the evidence that Christ dwells in us. Love being the evidence that all of the law is fulfilled. That if we love one another, we display that Christ dwells within us. So what does that look like in practical terms? Now, the Bible isn't just about intellectual knowledge of, of knowing more, but of giving us practical ideas. What does that look like in our lives? What does it look like when the Spirit works in us to demonstrate love to others? And Paul writes to the church in Colossae in chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, and listen to how he describes what love looks like. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Paul says, put on then... As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts. So it's compassion. He says, put on 
kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Stop there. Go with that for a minute. What he's just described is love. Biblical love. To be compassionate towards one another. To be kind to one another. To be humble before one another. To walk in meekness and patience. And he goes on and describes, what now does that look like in our lives? He says this in verse 13. He says, bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Forgiveness is a demonstration of love. Biblical forgiveness is the reality that God dwells in you through his spirit. And Paul writes this in verse 14. Above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love is what produces all of these. Love is the evidence that we are his. Peter would write that it is love that covers a multitude of sin. So well, what does that look like? Well, guess what? We are all sinners and love has covered a multitude of sin. That God displayed his love by sending his son Christ to die in our place so that we might be forgiven of much. And the Bible says those who are forgiven much love much. Beloved, do you know how much you've been forgiven? Because if you do, you know how much you've been loved. And now you have been filled with the Spirit of God so that you can love others as well. We as Christians love because Christ loves us. Some of us get confused when we speak of our assurance and we think maybe if I just know every theological nuance, I, I know every little jot and tittle of every type of theology and I study all types of systematic theology and biblical theology, which by the way, I'm not saying is bad. That, that's a good study. But we think just because I've attained that knowledge, that that knowledge alone would testify that I'm a Christian. John would argue, no, it doesn't. Some of us might go, well, you should see my home library or my Kindle collection and all the sound books that I have. That collection alone does not testify that you are a Christian. Some of you go, well, you see me every week and I have perfect church attendance. That alone does not testify that you are a Christian. John argues throughout this letter that the evidence is God's love flowing through you. That is proof that you are a child of God. It's proof that you are a Christian. James Montgomery Boyce puts it all together like this. He says, quote, Does the one who profess to love God love others as well? If he does, he can be sure that he has been made alive by God. If he does not, John says, such a person has no more right to consider himself a child of God than he does one who says that he knows God but disregards his commandments. Love, listen, love will be costly to all who practice it. But what is purchased thereby will be of great value, though intangible, for it will be proof of the presence of the life of God, both to the individual Christian and to the watching world. Jesus said, 
by this, all will know that you're my disciples, your love for one another. So let's make it real practical. Do you know the people around you? Don't be embarrassed. Go ahead and look around. Do you know those? Because many of you sit in the same spots. Like uh, By now, I'm like, I know who's over here. I know who's in this section. Some of you intermingle a little bit, but most of you have your spots. Maybe under the chairs, a piece of tape with your name on it. I'm not sure. But most of you got your spots. And so just in your immediate circle, do you know those who are around you? Do you love those who are around you? Do they know that you love them? Let's get really wild and crazy here for a moment. You guys over here, do they know that you love them? And do you love them? Oh, you guys over here, do you know them over there? And do they know that you love them? I don't want to ignore you guys. We can flip-flop you too. Look at each other. The idea is God's people love each other. Do we love one another? Do we display patience and kindness and, and grace and mercy to one another? Look, we are all imperfect, but we are following a perfect Lord. And because his grace abides in us, because his spirit abides in us, we can now display his love and his tenderness and his mercy to one another. Not only that, but that new heart he gives us, gives us an affection for one another. That it's not, oh man, what time is it? I got to go to church. It's, I can't wait to be with the brethren. I can't be, wait to be with God's people. What about the new people in here? We've got new faces that have come in today. Do they feel the love of God through you? Have they been confronted by others in love of, how are you doing? Who are you? Or are they come in and then walking out and no one has greeted them? Because if the Spirit of God dwells in us, it's love that's experienced through us. Which requires this, that I just don't go back into my old habits of who I used to be, but now I live out Christ in me. And though I might say, well, I'm more introverted and I'm not much of an extrovert, it would be the flowing of God's love through me that would engage others to encourage them in the faith. Do you have issues with one another? I already told you we're imperfect people with the perfect Lord. Love demonstrated is forgiving one another. You know, when we don't forgive one another and we hold a grudge and bitterness towards another, one sin leads into another. Next thing you know, we're talking about those people. We're saying unkind things about them. We're doing unkind things. And what we end up doing is causing division in the body of Christ. The bride of Christ. We must be so careful that we walk by God's spirit and allow his love to flow through us. So as I close this morning, I'm gonna close with some strong questions. Do you profess to know Christ? That should be an easy one. That's a yes or no. Then do you know his love? And if you say, yes, I know his love, is that love demonstrated through your life? Do others experience that love through you? Because those who are loved by the beloved also love the beloved. We love God and we love one another. But yet, 
I don't want anyone to despair who is in Christ because we do have flesh. And if you remember what John has already argued in this letter, and I know you said, I thought you said you're done. We're almost there. We'll get there. But let's finish it out. John has already argued in the opening chapter of this letter. Listen to what he says. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, he says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. He says, My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. What does that mean? For us who are in Christ, we have an opportunity to continue to go that we have an advocate, Jesus, and continue to confess sin. So this morning, has sin been exposed through the reality that you have not been loving? That you have not displayed the love of God to one another? That perhaps it's within our church that you have murmured and bickered and, and, and complained about individuals? that you would seek forgiveness and you would seek the Lord's forgiveness and one another's forgiveness. Maybe it's not within the context of here, but maybe it's in your home. You've been unloving and unkind, but you profess to know God. And this morning there's conviction through the Spirit that you would confess those things to the Lord, that you would receive forgiveness and also strength by His grace to now demonstrate love. God is able May we confess our sins to him and may his love flow through us one to another as a display of who he is. Let's pray. Father, I will be the first to admit that it is much easier to look at others and to look at their lack of obedience and lack of display of love in their lives, but much harder to stop and reflect on my own. Father, I know I'm not alone with that. I know there are many in here that we are quick to be able to see unkindness, to see unloving behavior in others, but also quick to justify our own actions that are similar. Father, for those who are yours, your spirit is so faithful to convict us of these things. And God, you are so gracious to give us your son Christ who has paid the penalty for these things. To give us opportunity time and again to come to you and to confess these things. Father, would you help us to walk by your spirit that the world would see that we are Christ's disciples by our love one for another. Father, would that begin in our homes and would it be displayed in our church? Father, those who are around us would experience the love of Christ. Father, we know that we are unable to do this apart from Christ. We pray, O oh God, that his spirit in us would shine through, that that love that has been poured into our hearts would be evident to those around us, that they would see the transformation in us, that instead of being identified as one who is angry and always frustrated and upset, that we would be identified as one who loves, and that you would receive all the honor and the glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.